From the PSIA ASI Satellite Studios in Hood River, Oregon, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair and Rain or Shine. It's Andy Stein. We're talking weather. <laughs> What's going on, George? How is it going? It's actually going great. Now, Andy, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our membership. Um, you're well known in PSIA ASI, but uh, may not be so well known that you were actually a weather person on television. Yeah, I absolutely was. So, I mean, I'll kick off with PSIA. Y'all might know me uh, from the national office. I'm the digital marketing manager there. Uh, So I work on a lot of things that you see online. Um, But before this, I was a, yeah, broadcast meteorologist. I got my Bachelor of Science degree in meteorology back in 2014 in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then I uh, got my first TV job in West Virginia, moved to South Carolina, and then eventually got a national TV job in Colorado, which is what brought me out to the Centennial State. Um, and that's what got me really big into skiing. You know, I grew up skiing and did a lot with it. But, you know, being so close to the Colorado Rockies and the mountains, you know, there's just such an overlap between meteorology and the ski industry that it, the ski industry really became another outlet for me to be able to use some of my expertise in. Now, how did you go from two professions that have such a great rhyme for you? It's rain or shine with Andy Stein. And now you're online with Andy Stein. <laughs> I guess that. The, the word gods are just working in my favor here. <laughs> well, I really was excited to find out about your background in meteorology because, I mean, we're inundated with weather and sliding on snow business. And you know, this year especially, I really wanted to, to have you get into the differences between La Nina and El Nino because we hear those every year. And we've been in one of those two for the last three or four years, I think. And uh, this year, we're supposed to be having a switch. And I know that means a big change in uh, whatever mountainous state you're in. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. And you nailed it right on the head. We have been in a La Nina for the last three years, which is pretty rare. You know, we actually called the third winter of our La Nina a triple dip La Nina. Um, We just don't really see that that often. Uh, back when we look back all the way to like 1900, there's only about two instances where we've had three consecutive years of La Ninas. Of course, uh, the final year is always a little bit wonky because we don't have too much to relate it to. Um, so last year, you know, the East Coast had not the greatest winter across the Appalachians, but the West Coast was slammed with snow. Um, you probably remember all the atmospheric rivers and whatnot slamming into California and the West Coast. Um, and this is all part of, you know, weather that is happening in other parts of the globe, which is exactly what ENSO is. So ENSO stands for, I'm going to get a little nerdy here on you, it's uh, El Nino Southern Oscillation, and essentially all ENSO is is a monitoring of the water temperatures, the sea surface temperatures in the equatorial Pacific Ocean, mainly off the coast of South America, off the west coast of South America. So depending on whether those temperatures in the water are warmer than normal, that it would be considered a, a El Nino, or cooler than normal, which would be considered a La Nina. Um, there's also that neutral phase where those water temperatures are really just normal. Um, those are the three different phases of ENSO. And yeah, we've been in the La Nina for the last three years, and we finally saw that switch into El Nino this year. So. It's been a minute since we've had to talk about the impacts that uh, El Nino brings to us. 
So you brought up atmospheric rivers and oh my gosh, I mean, I love winter. <laughs> I love fall, but I was so tired of rain this past year. Um, maybe no more of those this year with the shift. <laughs> Well, you know, that's a, that's a statement. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say no more of those. Uh, we get them every year. It just depends how frequently they are or they come. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting year for sure because El Nino and so all of those phases are just kind of one aspect of global weather. And it's called a teleconnection. Um, and there's a whole lot of teleconnections across the globe that kind of play into what's going to happen on your local or regional level. So can't exactly pinpoint, George, where an atmospheric, uh, atmospheric river is going to hit. But I can say that there's probably going to be some this year for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what did these two um, oh, atmospheric, I, I don't know what you're going to call them, but what do El Nino and La Nina mean for us in certain regions of the country? Um, what kind of changes can we expect now that we're out of that three-year cycle? Yeah, so um, they're each called phases, if you want to re uh, refer to them as the phases of ENSO. Um, but yeah, we're going into an El Nino. And characteristically, in a El Nino, we're actually talking about the southern third of the United States. So we're talking about southern Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, through the southern Appalachians, the southern plains. They tend to actually get wetter than normal moisture throughout the winter months. Um, whether or not that lines up with cold air could mean more snow for Southern California, maybe the New Mexico and Southern Colorado mountains, as well as the Southern Appalachians. Um, that is going to be, you know, yet to be determined. But the Southern third of the U.S. usually is a little bit wetter than normal. Um, now, contrast that to the Northern third, we're talking about the Cascades, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, up through the Great Lakes. They actually tend to be a little bit drier than normal in terms of precipitation. So you may not expect as much snow across the Northern tier of the U.S., um, but you may expect more active weather across the southern tier because what happens is the jet stream is what carries a lot of the moisture and the energy across the atmosphere. And that jet stream is actually going to get pushed a little bit further south across the U.S. and the North American continent, really. Um, so that means a lot of the storms are going to be dragged a little bit further south across the U.S. than normal. Um, so you'll expect some more snow, some more rain across the southern tier and drier than normal weather across the northern tier. And that's kind of what's expected over all El Ninos. You know, you can't really pinpoint. They're all unique and individual. So what's going to happen this year may not be exactly relevant to what happened in previous El Ninos. Well, and a lot of uh, a much drier uh winter up in the northwest it can be kind of tough for us because we don't have snowmaking like uh, we do in the rockies yeah i mean absolutely um now it doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna be a horrific season by any means but it just may not be as snowy as maybe you had last year or over the last couple of years now Let's back up a little bit. How did you first get interested in pursuing a degree in meteorology? 
<laughs> yeah, what a throwback. So I grew up in uh, South Florida on the East Coast, just north of West Palm Beach. Um, and we lived uh, right along the intercoastal waterway. And my dad was a contractor growing up. Um, we actually got hit. I was 11 years old, the 2004 hurricane season. Um, we got hit by two hurricanes within three months or three weeks of each other. Um, one was a strong category two, the other one was a category three and the eyes of both of those storms went directly over my house. Um, my grandpa and my dad were weather nerds, you know, weather fanatics. So when the eye came over, they knew that it was calm winds and dry and we could go sneak a peek outside. And I just remember being 11 years old and walking outside the door and there's like a raging hurricane happening, but I could look up and see the sky and see the stars. And it was just that moment that I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to pursue a degree in meteorology and learn about this stuff. So why is this such an, for lack of a better word, inexact science? I mean, you're up predicting the weather, but it can change in a heartbeat. I mean, there are so many different things. I had mentioned teleconnections earlier, and that's kind of the the relation between different weather phenomena that's happening around the world. Something as large of a scale as the Pacific sea surface temperatures in the equatorial regions, it can have a large scale impact around the world. You know, if we talk about Colorado and Denver and along the front range, you have the eastern plains of Colorado, you have the front range foothills, you have what's known as the Palmer Divide and canyons and alpine terrain and all of these different climate environments and weather is an is not exact because of weather an air parcel moving through the alpine terrain of colorado to the eastern plains is going to react very differently based off of the atmospheric conditions where it's found so it's just really hard to say you know exactly what's going to be happening in a certain current a certain corner of your world just because there are so many different nuances that go into forecasting the weather. You know, it's not just temperature and rain and chance of rain or chance of snow. It's, you know, how, how high does the temperature have to be for that air parcel to condense into a water droplet to form a cloud, to form precipitation? You know, and how much time do we have for air parcels to condense? You know, how long is the storm going to last? You know, how much moisture does it have to work with? All of these different factors come into play here and create different outcomes depending on where you are. So how do uh, different weather people uh, get such different interpretations for, say, a television broadcast? Uh, Because you can go from channel to channel and really hear a different forecast, which is why I think people really form such a loyalty with a, a certain personality. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would I would think that a lot of that has been changing within the last 10, 15, maybe 20 years, you know, and I think a lot of broadcast meteorologists have and just meteorologists in general have really come together to kind of fine tune our messaging and our forecasting styles. You know, everybody is going to forecast slightly differently. Um, and. You know, a lot of what we rely on is the forecast models, and they can provide us with a good understanding of what may happen, but it's that actual human experience and that human knowledge that goes into making a forecast correct. But again, I mean, if I'm forecasting the high temperature in Denver, Colorado, as a storm's coming through, um, I may say, you know, 45 degrees is the high, but, you know, my counterpart may say, oh, I think it's going to be 39 degrees, which means that we could be talking about a little bit of rain and snow, but, you know, the forecasts 
is always a little bit more tough to nail down the further out in time you are. So if we're talking about the forecast two months from now, you know, obviously we can't give you an exact thing, but I would say that most meteorologists seem to come together in agreement with what's going to happen within that three day time frame. So three days is about what we're really looking at. A 10 day forecast is not going to be very reliable. Yeah, no, not really at all. It'll give you an idea of what could happen. But again, we kind of go back to those teleconnections. And how is the high pressure over on the East Coast going to affect the low pressure that's moving on to the West Coast right now? You know, it, it takes a little bit of time for models to figure that out because models really do use a lot of ground truth from storms. And if a storm is still off, you know, towards the Aleutian Islands and Alaska, there's no ground truth for what's happening with that storm and the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, once that storm, you know, moves onshore, which is usually when the storms start to happen, you start to get a lot more reliable information being input into the models that you can understand and interpret better. So why has the Farmer's Almanac gotten such a following? (laughs) Oh, because they like to say that in winter it's going to be cold and in summer it's going to be hot. It's hard to be wrong when you say that. (laughs) So, Andy, do you miss being on TV and and doing the weather forecast? I can only imagine just from meeting you, getting to know you, that you were actually very good at what you did. Oh, well, thanks. Um, Actually, I still freelance on TV in Colorado Springs. Yep, one of my old uh, co-workers that I worked with is uh, the chief meteorologist down there. So I go down and help out whenever they have some big storms or some scheduling errors or whatnot. Um, And then I write weather and climate uh, articles for a lot of publications around Colorado. I've been in a lot of magazines and newspapers, and I've been featured on podcasts before. Um, And I keep up with my own little weather information site. I'm uh, kind of popular on uh, (laughs) social media here in Colorado for meteorology. So, you know, I keep up with it in my own way. It's really just like a, a hardcore hobby of mine right now that's just so much fun to keep up with. And, I mean, as you know, weather is awesome and very relevant in the snow sports industry and weather here in Colorado is just absolutely amazing to follow and track and try to predict. So I'm still still keeping up with it, good and true. So give us an absolutely hideous forecast for October. <laughs> How are you seeing the the, uh, the fall shaping up uh, in the Rocky Mountains right now, since that's where you're based? Um, it's actually just been beautiful. So, um, you know, we've been getting some storms in late October and having some early openings. What What's kind of your overall vibe for how you see the upcoming season in the Rockies going? Yeah, sure. I mean, I hope it's going to go really, really well. You know, with the impending El Nino coming this winter, I would probably expect the Southern Rockies to do a little bit better than the Northern Rockies, you know, and we're in a transitionary phase right now in October. You know, the seasons are changing. The earth is tilting. The cold air from the north is starting to dive south. You know, so what happens between, you know, the middle of September and the middle of November is usually pretty turbulent and hard to nail down. But, you know, we are going to be heading into a time where we're going to have to start watching storms. And at the time of this uh, podcast recording, you know, I'm actually watching a storm for next week uh, for Colorado that could bring the first substantial snow to the Rockies in Colorado. So I hope it's going to be a good year. You know, we're dealing with a lot of other things around the world that are going on uh, meteorologically. You know, you've heard probably about all the warm ocean temperatures and everywhere, basically. Um, You know, those are all going to play a part in how this winter is going to shape up. So, 
you know, as a good meteorologist, I'm giving you a very indirect answer. And you did <laughs> it very well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I've had plenty of years of experience. <laughs> well, Andy, it's been wonderful chatting with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us on First Chair. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited to talk with you. I have a big article coming out in the fall edition of 32 Degrees Magazine about, you know, the weather and the climate around us. So I hope everybody enjoys it. Andy Stein on First Chair and from the PSIA AASI Satellite Studios in Hood River, Oregon. I'm George Thomas.